0: Today we're going to continue in our sermon series called the Lord's Prayers. And uh, the, the S at the end of the word prayers is, is because we're looking at more than what Jesus taught us as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and of course in Luke chapter 11 where in both places Jesus teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer. But, but we're kind of taking a few steps back and, and, and looking at a bigger picture of the Lord's prayers and, and looking at more than just the, the lessons that he taught there, but also looking at the prayers that Jesus prayed as a, as a way to help us in, in our own prayer life and in our own life. And, and so um, we've spent some time looking at the expectations of Jesus for prayer Again and again and again, for several weeks, we, we, we've looked at how Jesus said, when you pray, and then he'd go on to tell us, but when you pray, don't pray this way. And so we had, we had a lot of, uh, of insight into what Jesus wants us to do and how he wants us to do it. So I think, my hope is, that we're convinced that we ought to pray. and and how we ought to pray. And so, right now, I'm going to make a pivot from that three-week expectations of prayer from Jesus into pivoting for the next three weeks, actually looking at some of Jesus' prayers. And specifically over the next three weeks, we're going to look at the prayers that Jesus prayed while on the cross. And it is my hope that the prayers that Jesus prayed on the cross will tune our hearts as we, we, we continue in this time of Lent and as we draw closer and closer to prepare our hearts for Easter. So you are there in Luke chapter 23. Let's kind of go through Luke 23 and get to the place where we find Jesus praying this amazing prayer. Luke 23 begins with uh, Jesus being brought before Pilate. And um, the Jewish leaders bring him because they bring these accusations against Jesus. And and in the interaction between Jesus and Pilate, Pilate can't find anything wrong with him. You'll read in Luke chapter 23 that Pilate even tells them, I find no no fault in what he's done. So Pilate takes him to see Herod and, and, and Herod finds the same thing. They, Herod can't find anything wrong with what Jesus did. So he sends them back to Pilate. And in the story, Pilate goes and calls the chief priests who bring him, who bring Jesus before him. And he questions them. What, what has he done? And they say, he's inciting riot. And they're, they're casting all kinds of dispersions against Jesus. And in, in the tradition that they had in those days, Pilate would, would release a criminal back for good faith and kind of kind of hoping to, to ease the tension between the Romans and the Jews. So they'd let go one of the prisoners. And he said, well, I can let Jesus go. And, and the chief priest riled up the crowd that was there. And he said, no, give us Barabbas instead and crucify Jesus. And that's what Pilate ends up doing. And he sends Jesus to be crucified. And there in verse 34, while Jesus is hanging on the cross, he breathes out one of his last prayers. And it's on the screen. You can see it with me. Shall we read this together? In Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Let's read. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The first thing I want to point out in this prayer that Jesus offers is the very first word, Father. One of the sayings that I think people will say, that Pastor Gordon always said this, because I always say this. The thing that I love so much about Jesus is that Jesus never asks us to do anything that he himself doesn't do first. And I can go through the long list of things, and even in this prayer, the call to forgive, Jesus forgives in this prayer. Jesus, in John chapter 13, washes the disciples' feet, and then He says, I, your teacher and master, your Lord, your rabbi, have done this for you, now you go and do it. He always sets the example, and then He calls us to do it. And when it comes to prayer... The thing that we've talked about for quite some time now is how we ought to pray and when we pray to know who it is that we are praying to because it makes all the difference in the world. And Jesus has taught us that when you pray, pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so when he teaches this to us, we find that in the most difficult and vulnerable time in Jesus' life, He does exactly what He teaches us to do. He prays Father while hanging on the cross. And, and if you don't know the, the, the history and the context, you say, big deal, Gordon, that He prays Father. And, and I want you to know, it is. It is a big deal. And Jesus begins his prayer acknowledging God as his Father. He teaches us to do that, and he does it himself. And let me tell you why this is so important for Jesus, for the Jews, and for us today. You see, the Jewish people have a very, very lofty view of God, and rightfully so, right? Right? He is God Almighty. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the creator of all things. Just turn this way in your Bible and you get back to Genesis. And every good thing that God created in the beginning of this world was made by His hand. This is our God. And and they saw God in this transcendent unapproachable way because God is so high and lifted up. He is holy and and He is all of those great and amazing things. And this went on for generations of this view of this high and, and transcendent God. And Jesus rolls in and He comes into the temple and when He prays, He says, Abba, Father. (laughs) The word Abba is the Aramaic word for Father. It can be translated as Daddy. And so for all of the Jewish people, seeing God as being transcendent and His name being so holy and high and lifted up, to have a, a, a rabbi audaciously, scandalously come in and, and refer to God Almighty as Abba? Are you, are you kidding me? This is, this is the outrage that the, the people in Jesus' day felt as they hear for the first time anyone would even dare call Yahweh Adonai. You see, the high view that the Jews had of God was because in the Old Testament, when God revealed himself to Moses, as he called Moses to free the people who were held captive in Egypt, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, God reveals himself to Moses. Moses says to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And when we read that, you're like, what what does that mean? But for the people who received this, they totally understood what this means. When God himself calls himself, I am that I am, He's saying that I am the unchanging one. I am the one that was at the beginning, and I am the one who will be there at the end. I am and I always will be. That's what he's saying. And so when, when we identify with a God like that, the, the great I am, we see the, 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 the grandeur of who this God is. And then the seriousness of God's name became even more important and even higher elevated when Moses then, later in a few chapters, in chapter 20, in fact, of Exodus, God gives him the Ten Commandments. And the third command of the Ten Commandments being elevated in the value of the importance as the first, the first uh, command. You should have no other gods. You shall have no idols. And then the third command. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Wow. This command to keep God's name holy was impressed upon everyone as a part of the law. You're to keep this. Don't break this law. And so... The Jews took that seriously. In fact, not even wanting to even utter the name of God. The, 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 the name I am that I am is, is translated as Yahweh. And, and, and fearing that they would even misuse the name of this holy God. They, 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 they couldn't use the name. So instead... They put a title in its place. And so as you read the Bible, and the references with the capital letters of Lord is Adonai. And that, that Adonai is, is, is a formal way to address God, keeping Him holy and transcended and lifted up. It's like calling someone Sir. Brian, you get that often. <laughs> or Ma'am. It's very respectful, very formal, and very proper. And all of this reverence for God grew over the generations and the generations and the generations. And again, Jesus comes into the temple and he calls Almighty God Abba. You can just imagine how scandalous. That was for all of the people who heard him say that. With that understanding. Now, you and I, we stand on this side of history. On the other side of Jesus' death. And we know the story of the cross. And we know, every single one of us knows this, that we were once slaves to sin. And that sin separates us from God. But Jesus was the one that bridged the gap when he died upon the cross. And it was Jesus that brought us close to God, because he himself came close to us. And it was Jesus that gave us the teaching that we are able to approach this transcendent almighty God and allow God to become more and more imminent and closer than ever before when he said in John chapter 1 verse 12, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus said that. The transcendent God becomes more imminent when we not only see him as the Almighty God, the Creator of all things, the Alpha and the Omega. He comes close to us when we realize that He is truly our Father in heaven because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And when we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, we become children of God. And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 verse 15 says these amazing words, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, again, rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption into sonship and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. So beyond Jesus now, the message of who this transcendent God is is can become imminent in our own hearts and in our own lives. This personal relationship that we like to say that we have with God uh, is, is only can only come about because of the dynamic transforming work of Jesus on the cross in our lives. Wow! I hope that you understand now the value of getting the opportunity to call God your father in heaven centuries of people never got to do that because he was so far away and we get the privilege now to call God our heavenly father Jesus teaches us to do that may we do that well so Jesus praised this simple prayer father Forgive them. <laughs> that, that word forgive. We use it a lot, don't we? Especially when we pray, Father, forgive me. Don't you love being forgiven by, 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 by the Heavenly Father? I do. <laughs> I surely do. Because it is good to be forgiven by God. Amen. my my guess is most every single one of us has prayed this prayer Father forgive me forgive me but what what does it mean to forgive the Greek word for forgive is aphemi aphemi and that word aphemi means to send away or release from obligation, the word aphiomi beautifully is captured by the cancellation of a debt. And that's the heart of forgiveness. When the debt of sin is canceled. When my debt of sin to God is canceled, aphiomi has taken place in me. When you pray, Father, me, forgive me. The debt of sin is canceled in your life. And this beautiful word of, of me is seen beautifully in, in the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive us of our debts as we forgive the debts of others. Father, forgive the transgressions of sin against me as I forgive those who have transgressed sins against me. Right? Father, forgive the transgressions of sin that people committed against me as I forgive those who committed sin to me. That, that, that whole, the whole understanding of debt being forgiven. So to forgive here is the cancellation of debt. And when Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. Let me ask you this deeply theological question. Does that mean that whoever Jesus was praying for was forgiven? Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Because I always thought that a person who is being prayed for, that person that Jesus was praying for, that they needed to realize their sin and confess it for themselves in order for forgiveness to happen. What do you think? Because we surely believe that without confession and repentance and without faith to believe that God does it, that there's no forgiveness. So I wonder if when Jesus praised this passage, Father, forgive them. If it wasn't him beginning the process of forgiving the people by asking God to forgive them first. Because if you've ever been really, really, really hurt, as I know many of us have, it's not so easy to forgive, is it? <laughs> For my, to say, I forgive you, Dave, <laughs> after being really, really, really hurt. But maybe the first step in understanding how and the process of forgiving is that instead of, I I forgive you, my prayer could start with, Father, forgive them. And in doing so, that helps my heart and prepares me to be able to one day do that as well. I don't know. I don't know. Because Jesus didn't say, I forgive you, to the people who hurt him. He was praying, Father, forgive them. And that brought me, kept me up a few nights in processing what does forgiveness look like and what does it mean? But the one thing that I have come away with is this, that when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, it showed the dynamic heart of Jesus, his merciful heart that desires the forgiveness of those who hurt him. That's one thing that I believe jesus did on the cross so the prayer is really simple just three simple words father forgive them that third word them who are the them in the prayer what do you think i think that's a pretty good question who is it that jesus is praying for the first thing that always comes to my mind and maybe came to your mind was the roman soldiers that nailed jesus to the cross Father, forgive them because they're standing right there watching Jesus die. These Roman soldiers, that was their job. You know that, right? They did that like you do your work. On a daily basis, they go. And if there were people to punish, and that is what they did because they were trained to do that. They didn't single Jesus out and pick on him and say, you, are, you, we're going to get you today. That, that wasn't the case at all. Jesus was brought to them. Jesus was given to them for them to do their job. And you know what I think? I think that they sincerely believed that Jesus deserved it. Whatever he did, because there's a process That has to happen in order for people to get to the Roman soldiers. A trial needs to take place. They need to be found guilty. And so everybody that comes before these Roman soldiers, these centurion, they were already found guilty. Like the two criminals that were crucified on either side of Jesus, they deserved it. And the people that were doing the crucifying They all thought that they were doing the right thing. Getting rid of the scum of the earth. The criminals. And then Jesus is brought to them. He could have been anyone. All they were doing was their job. And they were trained to be brutal and use deadly force. And they did it without compassion. Because that's what they did to Jesus. They didn't initiate any of this, they were just carrying out orders. Do you think it was the Roman soldiers that Jesus was praying for when he said them? Or could it have been Pontius Pilate? Because he, he's the guy that gave Jesus to the Roman soldiers to crucify, wasn't he? He was the one that gave the orders for Jesus to be crucified. And you know what's so awful about Pontius Pilate? I'll tell you what's so awful about him. He knew that Jesus was innocent. And he gave an innocent person to die on the cross. That is what is so awful about Pontius Pilate. You see this in the scriptures that we read. or When you look at it later on, when you read Luke chapter 23 later today, Pontius Pilate Tried to plead for Jesus' life three times. At least he tried, right? He said this to the Jewish leaders as he brought them together You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. And I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. And he goes on to say Neither has Herod, who has sent him back to us as you can see, he's done nothing to deserve the things you ask. And he tried to convince the Jewish leaders, not once, not twice, but three times, to release Jesus because he knew that Jesus was innocent. Yet, under the pressure of the Jewish leaders and his own cowardice, he turned an innocent man to be crucified, to the penalty of death. And some might say that Pontius Pilate was just another typical two-faced, self-serving politician desperate to hold on to power. And maybe he was. So, was it Pilate that Jesus was praying for? Could have been. He was the guy that, the gatekeeper there. But maybe it goes even further than that. Maybe instead of Pontius Pilate, Jesus was looking past to the chief priests and the Jewish leaders that started all of this. Because they were out in the crowd and as Jesus was hanging there, he could have seen them. They were just kind of out there in the shadows. And while it was Pontius Pilate that gave the okay, the bogus source of the charges began with the chief priests, didn't it? They were the ones that brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate because they got so upset at Jesus do you remember when Jesus cleansed the temple and exposed their dirty scheme of their money-making, right? Jesus goes into the temple and he, gah, he kicks over the table. I'm not going to do that, even though I know Kung Fu. And about four other Chinese words, no. Sorry, poor attempted humor. But Jesus knocks over the tables of the money changers and he releases the animals that are being sold because they're in the temple grounds. The chief priests had a money-making scheme saying you can only sacrifice animals here. You wouldn't bring a sheep all the way from Ephesus to Jerusalem. So we'll sell them to you here. And when they came... Oh, We can't use your your Ephesian money. You've got to use Jerusalem coins. And so the the exchange of money, oh, there was a huge fee that went along with that. Any of you ever exchange money to go to Europe and then they charge you extra? Oh, I want to quote scripture to them guys behind the booth. (laughs) And then they charge the temple tax. Oh, there's a tax to be here. And hand over fist, the chief priests, had this money making scheme, and Jesus just blew the whole thing up. And they were mad, and they began to plot Jesus' death. And now they are right here at it. He's hanging on the cross because they wanted to get rid of him and now they've done it. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's praying, Father, forgive them. And he looks around. There's the Roman soldiers here and Pontius Pilate up there and then the Jewish priests. Who is Jesus praying to forgive? Could have been any one of them. Or it could have been us. just think about it. When we ask the question, why did Jesus die on the cross? What is our answer? To forgive our sins. So that you and I can know what forgiveness means. That the penalty of our sins needed to be paid. So who was it that Jesus died on the cross for? When Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Jake, was he praying for you and me? Because over and over and over we read passages like Romans 5, 9. For God demonstrated his love for us. 5, 8, sorry. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I think about it, it could be any one of us, it could be all of us, because it was our sins, our lies, our weakness, it was our pettiness, our corruption that Jesus paid the penalty on the cross for with his life. Could it be that we're the ones that Jesus was praying for when he said, Father, forgive them? I don't know, to be honest with you. But one day, when we get to heaven, and we meet Jesus face to face, we can ask him that question, Hey, Jesus, just wondering, when you were hanging on the cross, you prayed that prayer, Father, forgive them. Who who was the them that you were talking about? One day we get to ask him that. But between now and then, here's what I'm really glad about. I am so glad that God answered Jesus' prayer on the cross. So glad that when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, that God did. And the evidence was quick that God did it. It was instantaneous. Because the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross, upon seeing Jesus die and how he died, he exclaimed, Surely this man was the Son of God. He even saw with his own eyes. One of the two. Criminals that. Hung on a cross. Beside Jesus. Was promised paradise. Father forgive them. He was one of them. The other criminal. Hanging on the cross. Father forgive them. Simon Peter must have been. In the shadows. because So embarrassed. Dejected. for denying Jesus three times. As Jesus is hanging on the cross and he prays out, Father, forgive them. Simon Peter finds redemption in John 20 and is restored into the ministry that he had. And you turn just a few more pages into the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 2. God restores Simon Peter So much so that Simon preaches, filled with the Holy Spirit, and on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people accept Jesus and are baptized into the kingdom. I'm so glad God answers prayers, especially the prayer for forgiveness. As Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. Hmm. And as I look out and I see all of you, and you look up here and you see me, aren't you glad God answered that prayer for us? I sure am. On the cross, Jesus prayed and provided aphe me, forgiveness for all those who would believe in Him and trust. And that forgiveness that it applies to you and to me. And if you've not ever experienced that, can I tell you it is the greatest feeling in the world to know that I have become an answer to Jesus' prayer. To know that the forgiveness that comes from Jesus has extended even to me. So today I invite you, I invite you to be the person that Jesus prayed this very prayer for. Would you be his, them? Would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Jesus, you prayed three simple words that changed the trajectory of people's fate, of their eternal fate, of being apart from you for all eternity or being in your very presence. And I thank you, God, for being a God that loves and a God that forgives and a God that cares. And even to those who did the greatest harm to your son, Jesus. You opened the way for forgiveness for those who denied him and rejected him. You redeem and you restore. May that be us today. And I was praying early this morning, thinking about this sermon series on prayer. And I thought to myself, what a shame it would be to talk about prayer so much and never even get the opportunity to pray as a church together. So today I'd like to open the altars and invite anybody who would like to pray to come and meet Jesus. And if you would like to pray for for Bill Young and his family and Rose, I'm going to stand right here and Pray for them and you can join me in that prayer. If you would like forgiveness and be the answer to Jesus' prayer when he said, Father, forgive them. I want to be that them. Then come up here and join us in prayer. How wonderful it is to be restored and united with God. And if I could just ask you to stand where you're at as Jeremy plays this song again. For those of you who are inclined and who would like to pray, the altars are open. i must stand right here. Come and join me in this time of prayer. Father in heaven, hear the prayers of your people today. Prayers to know you deeper. The longing Lord God to call you Father and to know Lord God that relationship. Abba, Father, we love you. Lord, be with our brother Bill and his children as they mourn the loss of a wife and a mother and a grandmother and a friend to us all. We thank you for your divine presence with us today. And we offer this prayer to lift you up and glorify you in Jesus' name.